This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is probably supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman and co-host and with me today is Mike Gregg. This is another Q&A with Mike and this episode will be once again discussing your questions submitted to the Cottage Talk Facebook and Twitter pages. On top of that, I've always have my own topics for Mike to discuss and I'll be doing that first. But before we do anything, I have to welcome Mike back to the show. Mr. Gregg, how you doing? Hi, Russ. Uh, yeah, doing well. Uh, looking forward to doing the show. Um, busy period at work and lots of Christmas preparations, shopping-wise, all that kind of stuff. But uh, So to take an evening out to uh, speak to you and uh, answer some questions and discuss Fulham, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it as well, Mike. And let's not waste any time because I've got a decent amount of questions from the form supporters, but I want to start with my questions for you because I always like talking to you. I've got some things that I'm curious about with your opinions on. So let's start here. Let's talk a little bit about Claudio Ranieri. How much progress have you seen so far with him in charge? I'm curious. Um, I mean, it's, it's very early. It's a work in progress. Um, obviously, on the back of six league defeats in a row to pick up four points, um, in the four games has been okay when you look at who we've played. So, right. you know, the, the two away games, Chelsea and Man U, very tough. Um, I was at the Chelsea game and, and watched the Man U game online, live. Um, you know, Chelsea game, we we gave them a, you know, a good, a good match. And, uh, you know, okay, we came away with nothing. And then Leicester game, was one that we could have won, uh, but it was probably a, a fair result. In the Southampton game, we, I thought we, you know, we deserved the win in the end. But uh, what we've seen from him is, I think he's come in. Uh, it doesn't look like he's had any preconceptions. So, you know, all the players seem to uh, be starting with a clean sheet of paper on what they can show him. And uh, I'm sure through the matches and through the training, it's about... You know, seeing which players are going to be up for the uh, 
forthcoming games and, and who's going to win their places in the side. But And then you look at the style of play. We, I mean, we're certainly... We were moving away from the very heavy possession side anyway under Jukanovic while he was trying to find a, a solution, as he would say, to uh, get some results. Um, we're not passing it around at the back as much as we were. Right. Uh, keep is kicking it longer. Um, there's a little bit more Rorex uh, when defending. Um, so there's, there's certainly a the beginning of a change in style. Um, I still think we're getting caught up in it. You know, one mindset of let's keep the ball, let's play it around. Um, and then the other mindset, which from Ranieri seems to be, you know, try and be a bit more solid, get the ball out of the danger areas quicker. But also when you do have it and we do pass it well, attack quicker. So yes. the transition play uh, looks to be much faster. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it is a work in progress. I think that's the best way. But I said, you know, I've seen some comments online that oh, I've not seen any changes. And um, oh, I disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. And uh, whatever I say tonight and going forward in any show or online or anything, it's not to belittle Yukanovic. It's not to say he was wrong right. in what he was doing. It's just we have to move forward now. And Ranieri is putting his stamp on in places and uh, it will be slowly. Uh, he's had another week this week of no midweek game. So more time to get the message over to the players on, on the way he wants us to, to play. And, um, you know, it's going to be a, a hard test this weekend. Like every game is a hard test in the Premier League. But, but yeah, I've seen changes. So I would give it six out of 10 at the moment, maybe seven, but, uh, you know, we've got some important games coming up and, and the good thing is three of them of the next four are at home. So uh, a chance to, you know, bank some points, which we desperately need. Absolutely, Mike. And you've already touched on some of the differences that I've seen. Listen, he's trying hard to make them more solid at the back. That's a work in progress. That's going to take time. The other part is the one-touch pass and the quick passing that you talked about. Quick transitions, getting forward as quickly as you can, not hoofing it long, moving the ball as quickly as possible. I think that's a work in progress as well, Mike, but I think that's where you're going to see our creativity, our talented players shine through eventually. Yeah, and those players are the ones in... in you can't have players like Siri, Kearney, um, and that involved in the team session on as well. Well, you know, they're not suddenly going to become Cardiff or Stoke, are they? Right. You know, if we, we've shown in all the games, including the Man United game, second half, that, you know, we have players who can keep the ball and, and you know, pick out a pass and, and make get the ball into the dangerous areas. Um, I think the other bit which I didn't mention was it's been interesting, although he's only, you know, we've only seen him briefly, is Cabano back. Um, we've also yes. seen seeing Kamara uh, start a couple of games and, and get a couple of goals as well. Um, so pace, I think he's looked at the squad and and, and realised, you know, or, or the Premier League needs to have pace. And uh, I think that's why you've seen Cabano come back in as well. And then it's been interesting to see Cissé uh, get back in the squad. Um, yes, there's been injuries, so it could be argued he's, you know, sort of last man standing. But, you know, he wouldn't be in a Premier League 18 picked by 
uh, such an experienced manager unless he thought he could uh, give something to the team. Yeah, and what's interesting about Cissé, I'm glad that you brought him up, is that Giannis pointed him out in one of our shows. Giannis was actually seemed to be fairly impressed with what you got out of him. Your thoughts? Well, the thing about Cissé is I've never seen him have a a bad game. He's he's only ever played a few, certainly, let's say, league games in the championship. Um, He's never done anything wrong, but he's never actually shone. And I've always... If I've got one criticism or one reason why he may not have been picked uh, more often by Yakanovic is he, he's a big lad and he has, you know, he, he is that central midfielder you really want. But for the style we played, his feet just weren't that quick enough to get the ball past it and give it as quick as Yakanovic seemed to want at times. Right. Um, whereas maybe, you know, under Ranieri, it's a bit more sort of you can get the ball and and you know just deal with it in a different way and not yeah. look to be playing the triangles and and one touch all the time. But uh, the main thing is he's a big he's a big unit, isn't he? He's a big lad yes. and he's um, a physical league as well as a pacey league. And you know maybe that's something he can offer. Whether he will you know whether K Mac is fit and gets back in. And then Cissé drops out again. We will wait to see. But um, I am glad that Paddy has come in and, and, you know, players who seem to be completely out of the picture have found a way back in. Okay, excellent there, Mike. All right, my next topic just deals with the fixtures in general. And I actually messaged you about this because this is something that we talk about here in different sports, strength of schedule. So I'm going to use this as a strength of the fixtures so far compared to the second half of the season. The reason why I'm bringing this up is that we have faced now six out of the top seven on the road in the first half for the season. Second half, obviously, it flips. So does that indicate to you that potentially, just based on what we're dealing with moving forward, that the second half of the season might be easier is not the right word to say it, but compared to our competitors, I doubt highly that they're going to be having that same type of fixtures where they're going to be facing all of these home matches against the top six like we are. So maybe I'm reading too much into what we've already done, Mike, but I have a feeling that the first half of the season will end up being the harder half of the season for Fulham. Your thoughts? Yeah, it should work out that way, seeing as we've played five of the the big six um, away from home. Right. uh, you know, on the flip side, we need to get a load of points and uh, we're going to have to get a lot of those at home and we're going to play five of the top six. So, um, and and you're away at the other places. But, uh, you know, I, I, you, asked, you asked me this question and um, I sent you some data over there. Is a yes, you did. Everybody, everyone who follows the show or follows me will know I tweet enough stats going after every game about... <laughs> But there's lots of stuff I don't tweet or I'm, I'm sure. not confident about. Um, I'm always playing around with facts and figures. And, yeah, I do have a table which gives you the relative strength of the, the games based on the position that, that everyone is at any one time. And we are just coming out of a very hard run of games. I mean, if you, you, know, if you go back five games, Man U, Leicester, Chelsea, Southampton, Liverpool, the average position we played there was eighth, which is, you know, 
I'm looking at it now is the second or third hardest run of five games and certainly the hardest run this half of the season we've had so far. And we're just coming out of that now and, and we're going into a relatively easier run. So it's uh, these next four games, and I did tweet it uh, during, uh, a couple of days ago, it will make or it will make or break our season and it seems silly to say that but when you're only on nine points from 16 games we have to start picking up points and so the next four games are absolutely crucial because then we have the arsenal game on new year's day correct um you know and you know cup game burnley and then tottenham and bright and so you know they're all coming thick and fast um so three of our next four at home um, but then you look at it and, uh, you know, it's five out of the next eight at home. So it's, uh, it, a second off the way the stats work, I've got another one coming up when we hit the halfway stages, okay. teams, teams who struggle and I've got stats going back, you know, 20 odd years in the premier league, the bottom half teams tend to score more points in the second half than the top half. You know, whether that's the, they work harder and at the other end of the scale, the top end, they ease off a bit. Who knows? Mm. But I can show you that, I can show you consistently that teams, if they... Is it desperation, Mike? I I think they just, you know, you have the transfer window, you have um, other reasons that, uh, you know, maybe it's new teams who then find, take half a season to figure out how to play in the league. So they pick up just a few more points. Um, I'm not talking huge amounts. I mean, you're always going to have teams that that drop off and, right. and have a bad second half, you know. But on average, a team that is in 20th place, or the, or the position 20th, forget the team, the position 20th will always score more points in the second half of the season. So, you know, if we can get to 16 point, 15, 16 points. Uh, at the end of this four-game run, that will be 20 games over. And you hope for the second half of the season, we can pick up, you know, maybe 18 points. And so you start getting near that, what I consider now to be the target of 34. Right. And, um, you know, so and we had a horrendous run, didn't we? You lose six on the trot. You want to pick up even two draws there would have made us that little bit better off. So there isn't a huge amount you know, it's not as if we've got to improve by 50%. You know, we've just got to improve by that. I remember I was having a conversation in January, I think it was, and we were talking about we're 10% away from being a really good I remember side. this. <laughs> and, and what happened? We got two players, which is okay. It's 15 20% of a team. But it made a difference, didn't it? It did. And, uh, and, and that's all. We're, we're just that. Because of how close it is at the bottom, we just need that little bit of improvement, and that will be enough, I believe, to stay up. But, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be hard either way. I totally agree with that, Mike. And uh, I also agree with uh, the way that you looked at this, because here I am factoring in playing to say that six of the top seven on the road. You brought up the fact of it is that we need to be winning matches and getting points, and you tend to get that at home. And, we need to start doing that because we're going to be facing a lot of these teams at home. So you need yeah. to be beating the teams around us, especially at home. And we have crucial matches coming up like you had just mentioned. So I think we'll learn a lot more, like you said, in these next four matches, exactly what we're going to need 
and hopefully they can yeah, get I some mean, points at home. Yeah, I mean, I've, um, I, I don't know if you saw it, but I did a table where we should be at the end of each month. So I'm yep, basically I saying, those, those, yeah, those six teams, the big six, who are the top six, you know, you might think Man United are rubbish and they're having a bad season, but where are they? They're six. Okay, <laughs> so the top six, the big six are the big six. Sure. And I've basically, I've basically said to myself, well, we're not going to get a point off them at all. So on average, I've, I've worked it out, you know, the end of January, 24 games, we need to have 18 points. At the end of Feb, 28 games, we need to have 23. All of it leading up to get 34. It does mean you get to the last two games in May <laughs> needing three points. But it's going to be like that. It's going to get yeah. to the wire. It's going to be a last game of the season type stuff. Um, you know, unless we do something really, really special over a, you know, over a, a decent run of games. And I also think we need to bank some points before we get to March because, you know, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City in a I four game. That. Yeah. that is, you know. <laughs> That's going to be we a tough to time, I know. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Mike, I have another topic for you. Now, we had the announcement this week, and I'm just curious your thoughts on it. Fulham announced a main contractor for the Riverside Stand Development Project, which I think is excellent news. But I've seen a little bit of a backlash on social media because of what's been going on the current season. What are your thoughts on this? Because, for me, I think this is great news. It talks about Fulham's future. Whether they're in this division or they're in the championship, I think this needs to happen. So I don't understand the backlash behind this. No, yeah, well, I mean, there's a backlash because, one, because we're doing badly and people think we're going to go back to the championship and you're going to have an empty ground and we're going to, all our fans are going to disappear and we're going to be down to 8,000 fans. All those things that were said when we were relegated last time and, and in fact, our crowds held up. Um, I've never understood, I, yeah, I, I don't understand people who don't want a new stand. Will it get built? I hope so. Um, you know, they, they're making all the right noises. They're doing, you know, the site, the, the getting the main contractor is, is important. There's lots of other contractors that that contractor has to get now to do lots of other jobs. Um, just to, you know, just like building an extension, I get a builder and right. then he goes and gets the electricians and, and everything. But I really want the club to be doing stuff in May at the end of the season to show, you know, that they really are going to knock that stand down and build the new one over the next two to three years. There's meetings coming up in January about moving Riverside season right. ticket holders elsewhere. You know, the more and more that the club do to show that it's actually going to happen, um, the more the fans will buy into it. But, it, you know, I'm not going to go into old arguments about why it should be built and the income and the, you know, the extra seats and all that kind of stuff because uh, I've been there before. I all I want to, we need to have a modern, a modern stand in that ground. We have an old, a beautiful old stand, which isn't quite fit for purpose. We have two other stands at either end of the pitch, which I'm not going to use the word temporary, but, you know, they need a lot of maintenance and uh, they're not really there. They could be improved. And then we have a very old stand from the early 70s, which is, you know, just not fit. It's not fit for purpose. It's no good for hospitality. It's... Uh, uncomfortable and uh, you know the club can't make enough money out of it so right. 
yeah, they just need to get on and start building it. So I'm all for it. But the main the main reason people don't want it is because everyone's down at the moment. When a club's not doing well, your Twitter gets busier, the forums get busier, and you know the, the comments online get worse. You know, nine months ago, when we were in what February, March, April, when we we're on that great run, you 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 see the numbers drop. It's very it's harder to praise than it is to moan. And when a club in the position we are at the moment, people will find anything to moan about. No, I understand that, Mike. But I'm also looking at this. Listen, I'm here. You are there. You are going to the matches. So maybe I'm not the right person to have this discussion. Maybe I shouldn't be doing it because maybe I don't have a right. But I talk to people and I know again, what can come out of this? And you've given the reasons over the course of time, all the revenue that can come from it. But why wouldn't you want to modernize? And I'll just use here in the Boston area with Fenway Park, where they just modernized a very old stadium. And it really have, they've done an incredible job. And it's actually added revenue to the Red Sox that they use for the team. So I look at what the cons want to do, and I understand it because I've lived through it here, and I understand that they will use it for the reasons to help the club. And that, to me, is one of the big reasons. Plus, we need to modernize. you know. And again, I just think that this is something that's needed. You just went through the reasons, Mike. And if anyone doubts that this is going to happen, and I understand people doubting, just look at what Shah Khan has spent in Jacksonville on the Jaguars, on the Jaguars stadium. Look how much money he has spent. He spent a ton, and he's doing that because he's trying to modernize it and also helps them more revenue to come into the Jaguars. Same thing here with Fulham, Mike. So that's that's what frustrates me. I understand why people are upset because of the season, but this is a good thing for Fulham. And if I can remember correctly, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. I believe that Wolves rebuilt a stand when they went down, and now look at Wolves. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's, you know, there's a history of clubs that build new stands, and actually it's a history of clubs that build stands, and it causes them all kinds of problems. You wouldn't know the history of the, the Riverside stand. I mean, you know, that, that caused us loads of problems as well when it was built. So, um but you need it. I mean, we've hit a ceiling on 25,000 fans right. in the stadium and we, and we need more and you need, you need better facilities for, you know, for everyone. And, uh, you know, you need a, a multi-purpose stadium that's, that works seven days a week. And, uh, you know, I, I really don't see a downside on it at all. And if, if someone was turning around to me to say, we're, well, we're going to, knock the cottage down, we're going to knock the Stevens Road stand down, we're going to flatten the whole place and then build this, you know, replica of Derby and Middlesbrough and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Then, yeah, no, I'd be there saying, no, I don't want to And I'd be there it. with but, you. You know, the club can, the Craven Cottage can still keep its unique appeal. We, exactly. Um, you know, with this modern stand that's going to be built and because right opposite it, you're, you're going to have a 21st century uh, stand on one side and you're going to have a, a, a late or oh, sorry early 20th century stand on you know on the other side you, you know what I mean and yeah I know you it's mean. Going to, 
it's going to be a re, you know really interesting sort of sort of image to look at sometimes. But it's, sure. uh, this is you know I just want him to get it done. I have to say, and uh, <laughs> it's going to take three years, and uh, you know just, let's just get it built. I'm there with you, Mike. Totally there with you. All right, let's move on. I have to ask you about a couple Fulham players, both on loan. And um, first I want to ask you about Timothy Fosu-Mensa. This is a player that, Mike, I thought was going to be our right back. I don't get what's been going on here under Ranieri, but we've not seen him. Yeah, it's uh, he's had a, a mixed time with us. I mean, I remember seeing him against Tottenham thinking, okay, this guy can't get forward. Um, and then he played another game where he, he did rampage down the right but couldn't get a cross in. Um, he looks as if he's got the attributes to be a good defender, but he's not really shown it. And then we've had the change of manager. You know, Christie's done well. Uh, we saw a Doy go there the other day. Um, I wonder, and I'm only speculating here, um, as a loanee, um, maybe we have a break clause in his loan and we've made the decision that he's going to go back in January anyway. Yep. And let's, Let's make do with what we got. Let's make sure he doesn't get injured. Um, and so we won't play him. And then on the 1st of Jan, maybe he goes back. And that frees up a loan spot for us. That's pure speculation. It'll right. probably start Saturday. <laughs> but <laughs> um, that would make sense to me, yeah. um, uh, considering we, you know, we will be looking to bring some players in and a premiership loan would be you know, let's talk about some of the Leicester players or ex-Leicester players that we keep getting linked with. Um, we would have to make space for that uh, if we were going to loan someone. So uh, I think that's possibly the reason. Okay. That's going to lead me to ask you about Callum Chambers. You and I were messaging back and forth on this. I've had many people message me about the mixed messages that we're getting about the situation because of the injury at Arsenal. The potential, can they come back in and recall him talking about Arsenal, which would be a huge blow to form right now, considering he's played fairly well lately at the uh, defensive midfielder role. So I'm going to ask you, you've messaged me the answer, so please do share the answer to the issue that we have here. Yeah, sure. I don't know. but <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, but let's, let's remember the um, – so – it all depends. When they make a, a loan deal for the season, they have to put the agreements in whether there's a break clause. Um, and most of the time, it would be a break clause where both teams have to agree. So let's go back to Chris Martin when we had him. I was thinking about and that. He wanted to go home to Derby. They wanted or McLaren wanted him, but we didn't want to let him go. So he's had to stay. And that could be the same issue that we're going to have coming up if, if – that kind of issue arises with Chambers, you know. So it could happen with uh, Mensa as well. You know, man, you might say, no, we don't want him back. You know, we, we gave him to you for a season. So it, it, it's whatever's in the agreement and it can be flexible. There's no one rule. So um, I would expect there to be a break clause in any loan that we do, be that one we loan out or loan in. Um but as to the actual stipulations, the rules that have to be abided to, I've not seen that public. So at the moment, just don't know. 
And I see okay. that the, even the Arsenal manager didn't know. So uh, exactly. <laughs> what hope have you got? <laughs> it's a crazy situation because I, I would like clarity on it, but we really just don't have it. So I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. And uh, like I mentioned, also, he... for us, for us, it's also yet another example where the transparency transparency in football is is poor. You know, yeah. a very simple a very simple thing is when a transfer is made, you make that public. What it is, what are the clauses? Can he be recalled? Can't he? How long is it for? Blah blah blah. It's not about how much the wages are or anything like that. It's just right. basic. Just keep the fans informed, and that just stops all this stupid speculation. And there's been a ton of it with this player, but but it's not just this player, Mike. It's a good point. It happens all the time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, you know, there's um, there's just so, the lack of transparency in football yep. is it's just pathetic. I mean, I know, you know, obviously in NFL and Major League Baseball and, and you know other American sports. You have so much more transparency in certain areas than we, than we do in football. Yes, you know, it's funny because you'll know the length of the contract. You'll know how much money it is. You'll know if there's a, a potential opt-out. And you have That happens all the time in Major League Baseball. You probably know that, Mike. You know, you deal with that a lot. You know, long-term contract, you'll know that certain players have an opt-out in, say, three years. It's their decision. This happens a lot, but we know that. But we don't know this stuff when it comes to the Premier League. When it comes to football in general, it, it's it's not there is no there's very little transparency. I shouldn't say there's no there's very little, and that makes it difficult. And that leads to all the speculation, unfortunately, that we're dealing with right now with Calum Chambers. All right, Mike, I got a lot of topics for you, but the topic I have for you will lead into a question from a Fulham supporter. So here's my question to you. You're Tony Khan. I'll put you in the shoes of Tony Khan. What is your first move in the January transfer window? What do you do first? Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, I think the best thing, um, and I've met, you know, I've met Tony a couple of times and communicated with him, um, and, you know, I see the criticism he gets and, uh, you know, the work being a director of football and all the stats and all that kind of stuff. I would give him, the thing I would say to Tony Khan is he, he to make things a lot easier for him, he should, he has Talbot next to him. He could do a lot worse than just employing, getting in a name, someone to work with, um, maybe ex-Fulham, whatever, someone to work with him um, to appease the fans in some way. It would make life for him so much easier. It's just a word of advice, that's all I would say. Okay. Um, it's just to have another football figurehead, if you like. See, I agree but, with you on that. Go ahead. Not above him. You know, in the end, you know, he's still the vice chairman and director of football or uh, whatever the title is, but um, a simple move like that um, would ease a lot of pain. But anyway, let's, let's get back to the first move in the January. Yeah, first transfer. move. First move, 
Well, I've already said if Mensa can go back, I think he will. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, the other one is probably, you know, keep Chambers <laughs> if you can. Okay. Um, unless, you know, absolutely unless uh, you need to make space for two other loanees. So, okay. Talking about, you know, maybe a, a proper defensive midfielder, and we all know who, you know, the name that we get linked with. Um, from his ex-team, and um, you know, it's whatever Ranieri thinks we need. You know, I'm sure they're having those discussions already. He's looked at the squad. We're four games in. He's got another four games. What's not going to happen is the unrealistic view that we're suddenly going to sign someone on first of January. We just know that that does not oh, happen, no. and, and not I'm not expecting it. Um, it would be really great though if we could get someone in in the first couple of weeks. Um, but if it, if it was me, then I would be looking for a right-sided centre-back, absolutely, uh, to be able to play next to Mawson. Personally, I think Chambers can do the job there. Um, and if we keep him and we don't bring another one in, um, I expect him and Mawson to end up being the centre-backs. But even so, I would still probably go for another right-sided centre-back. Um, Another, if Anguisi doesn't improve um, over the next few games, and if McDonald doesn't step up as well, then, you know, yeah, defensive midfielder. Okay. And the other thing would be another striker, really, uh, in the mould of um, Mitrovic. So not like Kamara, not like Vito or, you know, any of the other guys. Another bigger uh, centre-forward type striker, uh, to play off everyone because, um, you know, if Mitrovic gets injured, we haven't got a similar player. There's a backup to Mitrovic. For a backup to Mitrovic, yeah. Okay. So, and then fourth, <laughs> I'm going to be greedy. That's okay. A proper, a proper right-sided midfield player. Oh, I want who, one of those, Mike. I'm, I'm there with you on that. Yeah. So... So, yeah, in what order they come, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you've got to be saying it's got to be four players, doesn't it? It's got yes. to be a defender, midfielder, a right midfielder, and a striker. So, yeah. Okay. Excellent there, Mike. All right. I'm going to start by going to Cottage Talk Facebook page. And the first question involves the January transfer window from Christopher Phelps. He asked, where should we strengthen in January? You've already mentioned that, but he's got a couple of other topics to go along with that. Should the manager persist with a doy? What is Mike's thoughts on the new setup from Claudia? Okay, well, a doy, um, as everyone who knows me <laughs> will know, I'm not a fan of his at centre back. Um, I'm convinced if he continues to stay at centre back, um, yeah, we will just stay at the bottom. Um, it's not that he's a bad player. Um, he he does have that one mistake in him every game. Absolutely. Uh, he makes up a lot with it, with his tenacity and his, you know, his pace. And he, he's an intelligent player, but I just don't like him at centre back. Um, unfortunately, he played at right back the other day against a Man United team who uh, pretty much took him apart in the first half. Yeah. Um, but you know, he can cover the full back positions. Uh, if him and Christie were to alternate at right back this for this coming the rest of the season, I'd be okay with that. Um, but please, I, I really don't want him at centre-back anymore. <laughs> okay there, Mike. All right. 
Let's move on. Jeremy well, Burns has... Part, yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Mike. The second part was, what is Mike's thoughts on the new setup from Claudia? Well, the other inter- I didn't mention it earlier, the other interesting thing with him is we've had four games and how many different formations? So uh, it's difficult to say what the setup is, yeah. really. Um, it's certainly four at the back, but as we saw at Chelsea, he started with a diamond, or he played with a diamond, or, or wanted to, and then we've you know seen slight deviations, um, you know, four two three one, four two one three even, you know, and so he mixes and matches uh, both formations and personnel. So uh, yeah, it's difficult to say what his setup is really. Okay, very good there, Mike. And next question kind of goes along with that. Actually, it's a couple of topics from Steve Reynolds. This is what he wrote. Should Claudio Ranieri continue being the tinkerman, yet at the same time not keeping a team playing together? Also, is it not time that Tom Kearney was relieved of the captain's armband solely so that he can concentrate on regaining his form? So that's two questions for you, Mike. Okay, on Kearney, um, I mean, he is club captain. I, I think it would be a bad idea to take it. As we, take it away from him. As we saw last year, there's a difference between a club captain um, and whether you wear the armband or not on a match day, who is the captain? We saw that was McDonald, really, wasn't it? You know, he was the one who, in the team talks, made, you know, giving all the verbals. Um, I, I wouldn't change that, you know, and, unless Tom doesn't want it anymore. Um, or unless we sign someone in January who is an absolute beast of a leader who should be a, should be the captain. So um, I wouldn't make a change there. As for the Tinker Man, um, I think we're going to have to get used to it, you know, especially while he's still looking at players and and what they can do. And uh, he's going to be a coach who I think will take every game um, in its own entity. So he will yeah. look at who we're playing and he will change the formation and personnel to match who he's playing. In the championship last couple of years, we've seen that it took Jukanovic half a season to find the right 11. And then he would pretty much stick with it. But the formation always stayed the same. Uh, and, you know, this season he started like that and then chopped and changed, trying to find a way out of the... Uh, you know, unfortunately, what led to him losing his um, his job. But uh, so yeah, I think we're going to have to get used to that. It's uh, you know, I, I made a comment or did a picture about the old bingo Felix bingo and that's Ranieri bingo. I think the difference here is you know, McGaff was you know drawing the names out of a hat, whereas I do actually believe Ranieri's looking at it and picking it sensibly. But um, uh, as we've seen, you know. Criticisms of a couple of players this year uh, at certain games for what they're doing, and you find out that's the manager's instructions. So, right. you know, he he will he will pick teams and formations for who the opposition is. Right. And you know, listen, I'm used to that from other sports, Mike, and uh, I'm just going to say it's been very successful for the New England Patriots. I'm not saying that, you know, it's the uh, right way or the wrong way for Claudio Ranieri. I'm just saying I'm I'm used to it. But I understand why supporters are worried about it, Mike, because it goes to continuity. But he's also trying to find 
the right combination of players that he can trust. But I do understand why he's trying to find the right system and the right players to play against the opponent because I think that's just the way he thinks. He's a tactician, so he's trying to break down the other team. Yeah, and that's it. And it's, um, you know, part of us all, it's a bit of a, a, a football thing over here that we want to see settled sides. I think it goes back to, you know, it goes way back. You know, when I, 40 years ago when I started watching Fulham, you had the 11 out there and one sub. <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah, the teams didn't change that often. You, you, you went through the season with 14, 15, 16 players and a few odds and sods who would make an appearance here and there. And, and now you have squads of 25 plus and, you know, 30 players making appearances. So the days of a really settled side pretty much have disappeared. You will have unique things like Wolves and even ourselves a little bit last season. But, yep. uh, um, it's more, I think nowadays it's more about combinations of, you know, the centre backs or the, Right, or the full back, the full back and the midfielder in front of him, or the, you know, the the wide player in the centre forward. So it's more those kind of combinations rather than the whole unit, if that sort of makes sense. It does. It does, Mike. All right, let's move on. Here's a question from Amir Intense. Any sense of what Claudio Ranieri thinks of the whole data analytics setup and its results? Well, I mean, he's, he's he did an interview or a couple of interviews since he joined, you know, when he joined, and since that, um, you know, he accepts that that's the way it works, and um, he's used to it. I found an article um, looking back over Leicester's year, um, and the interesting thing was I found there that um, he didn't fancy Kante, uh, you know, didn't know who he was, thought he was too small, had to be persuaded to uh, to play him. Wow. Um, and look, and look what he went and do. So, you know, we have we've had it for you know three, four years. And let the manager pick the players, and you know, we let Joel do that. We let McGaff do that. We let going back. We let Sanchez do that. We've let managers do that all the time. The actual process is, uh, you know, the amount of times I've spoken about it on this show. I know, Mike. <laughs> yeah, you know, the process is stats and scouts. Yep. Stats and scouts. The scouts can come up with people. The stats can come up with people. Joe Block they have to agree. It's just the fact that they have to match up. Yeah. And there's evidence that they have signed players when it hasn't matched up. So, you know, it's um, it's just something to beat the club and beat the owners with and beat Tony Khan with constantly. And it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, um, about bringing someone in to work alongside them. But, you right. know, Ranieri... He, he's a continental manager. This, they, this is the way it works. And um, if he puts a name forward, they will run it through the program. And if it's a yes on stats, they will look at their scouting reports because, you know, they scout as well. Sure. <laughs> you know, and um, so it's not just all computer driven. No, Mike, I, I totally agree with that. And, and Amir, thank you for the question. It's just a, like an interesting situation that, you know, we talk about very often because this is one thing that frustrates me, Mike, and, you know, read several articles and you'll hear this is what Claudio Ranieri's targets are, or, you know, I'm I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He's not the one picking the players. 
he's he can suggest like we're talking about, but he's not the one making decisions. Slavisa wasn't the one making decisions. And like you've talked about, it's a, it's different now. And, you know, I think that we have to judge when the players come in. You know, the players are, are picked in a certain way, like you said, and Tony Khan is has his role, but it goes through a process. And it's yeah. not, you know, it's not the way, it, you know, it was in the past. All right, Mike. Here's sure. one. No, I was just going to say, you know, ahead, I mean, if anyone thinks, yeah, if anyone thinks that, the Khans aren't going to listen to Claudio if he puts the name forward, then, um, you know, they're... Oh, well, I'm sure they will. This is an experienced manager who's going to know yeah. what's required, but it doesn't give that particular manager a blank check to go out and sign exactly. you know, his old mates or, or whatever, which is what's happened in the past. So if it looks good for the club uh, long-term uh, or even in the short-term, um, then it will get signed off. But, uh, you know... You read I read enough articles about an, analytics and everything within football, and it, it's becoming more and more. It's not disappearing. So for fans to say, well, let's just get rid of it. Let's get back to the old days and, you know, bloke on the side of the pitch making notes. Well, yes, there's a time and place for that. But if you're not looking at a multi, you know, well, it's a worldwide business now. There's players every, right. in every corner of the world which every club is after and if you don't have stats you're not going to find them okay very good there mike one final question from facebook this is from jeremy burns this is an interesting one do you think that Fulham have an irrational fascination with recruiting players from the french and belgium leagues rather than seeking premier league proven players interesting question i actually was talking to bob ballard about two of our french players and we were discussing mike the adjustments, say, of Seri and Ngisa coming from Wigan to the Premier League, and it can be a, a quite an adjustment from that league to the Premier League. So I think I understand where this question's coming from. Your thoughts? Yeah, I can understand where it's coming from as well. And um, I mean, yeah, we paid a lot of money for them, but you know, all the te- all the teams, all the Premier League teams, all the all the all, they're all looking all over the place to find the next, uh, you know, the next star. The prices might be a lot more expensive. And, you know, arguably, have we paid over the odds for these two guys? I mean, Siri, I think, will be a really, really good player. He showed that in the first few games. He's finding it tough. These guys have suddenly found themselves in a relegation battle. They've probably never, ever seen that while they've been in France. And uh, it's a different type of game you uh, I saw a West Ham fan on one of the forums the other day saying about how some of the players from last year who really struggled have found their feet now and are doing really well and it, it will take time I mean I think that that market just as Newcastle did a few years ago they went they went into France yes. you know and we you know there was a stage where it seemed we were getting all our players from America, um, you know, and we've every club has its own sort of network that or areas that it feels confident in. And it seems over the last three or four years that we've looked predominantly uh, the sort of uh, what we would call the low countries and, and France as well and, and tried to find players from there. And 
you know, bringing in three of them, you know, if you include Marchand as well, maybe. Yes. Well, Marchand, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe that was a little bit too much of a um, a step up. But you talk about getting, people talk about getting Premier League players, and, you know, and people go, oh, target, we should have got target. He's hardly played a Premier League game, and he would have cost 15 to 20 million quid. And I don't care what anyone says. I can go back and find loads of people saying, well, no, we shouldn't pay 15 million quid for him. He's, well, that's far too much. But that's, that's, that's starting price. So, so yeah, you, you know, in an ideal world, yeah, you go and get the Premier League players, you know, the ones you know. But that's the problem. They're the ones we know, isn't it? Right. Everyone else knows them. So if you clubs go abroad looking for the gems, the, you know, the players no one knows, the, the surprise packages and... Uh, you know, if we were two or three, if if we were doing better off, then no one would be moaning, would they? But um, early on in the season, they looked okay. That first four or five games, things looked okay. And for whatever reason, since Brian, it's it just hasn't worked. And you know, hopefully, Ranieri can uh, get them to you know start producing the goods. But uh, yeah, I suspect we will get at least another couple from the Premier League. In, in January. Okay. Uh, so those, those who want that type of experience, yeah, I expect us to get them. Okay. And this question on Twitter goes along with it from Will Johns. Just exactly what we're talking about, Mike. Did we bring in too many players without experience of English football? We're already talking about that, but you truly believe that you think we're going to get some Premier League players in January? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do. But then we talk about who we brought in uh, who didn't have Premier League football. It's, you know, we still brought in Schurler, Mawson. You know, these two have got enough Premier League games between them. And, uh, you know, Chambers as well. Uh, yep. Mensa played for, um, you know, Mensa played for Palace last year. So many is that? I mean, in defence, you could argue you had Mensa, Chambers and Mawson, all with Premier League football. Okay, we've got Schurler as well. So, so yeah, 12 players. You know, there's four there with Premier League football at least. Mitrovic has, we signed, even though he played for us, he's still got Premier League football as well. So straight away, we signed 12 players. Two of them were goalkeepers. So then you've got 10 outfield players. Half the outfield players we bought have Premier League football in them. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, it's... um, was it too many? Well, we had to buy that that number of players. You know, it was as simple as that. We got promoted because we used the loan system. Okay. All right, Mike, here's another topic from Brendan Cronin. Mike, is Tony Khan's transfer strategy to blame for our poor season? I think, yeah, it's a combination of things. I don't think he's to, he's to blame. I think Jukanovic and the players have to take some of the blame as well. And so it's, it's a shared responsibility. I, th- I think Jukanovic was a little bit naive uh, in some of his selections and certainly the way he wanted to play. I mean, we loved the football he played, but we we all saw, even though we played okay in those first four or five games, we saw that there was going to have to be an adjustment because we, we, we just could not play the way uh, we did last year. And he was too slow to, to implement any changes. And so we were still left with those 
you know, you look at the past maps and everything, and we were still playing almost with two centre-backs only. And we, you just can't do that in this league. So, um, so yeah, is, is Tony to blame for the strategy in spending 100 million quid? Maybe it wasn't spent wisely. So, yes, he has to take some of the blame. Um, but just as he has to take some of the blame, Jukanovic has to, and the players as well, because some of the performances haven't been right. up to scratch. And some of those performances have been from those players who had Premier League experience. So, you know, Chambers, as much as I want him to play at centre-back, he had a couple of shocking games, you know. Oh, it was, uh, it was horrible. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and looking back, a couple of our players who we carried over from last year were playing like they still had a bit of a hangover from last season. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's horrible. It's just horrible. But yes, in answer to Brendan's question, yeah, you know, he takes some of the blame uh, for what's happened. Okay. Because I, 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 I agree with that, but I... I was able to, yeah, if I was able to speak to yep. Tony now, I'd say, you know, I still don't understand why we're missing a right-sided midfielder. And, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and also we were unbalanced by bringing in Marchand um, and Brian and having Ream as well. We had too many left-sided uh, defenders when that's we needed great, right-sided a, defenders as well. That's a great point, Mike. So, Fantastic point. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, it's not... As much as I... We'll back, you know, or not back, but, you know, I, I will back, stick up, if you like, or at least see where Tony is coming from. Yep. He knows from my messages to him that I'm not always happy. <laughs> <laughs> Very good there, Mike. Here's a question, unfortunately, that goes along with all of this, okay? This is from Gary C. Will we keep the championship players in our squad in January just in case they're needed if we're relegated? it depends if there's any um, bids but uh, you know we've given a couple of contracts out I don't see I think it's all hands on deck actually um, I wouldn't be looking to sell or move anyone on I think you know we've got a battle in the second half of the season I would rather we had everyone there available for for uh, every game you know I wouldn't want us to send a player out let's pick a player who can we pick well let's say let's say McDonald's, yeah. Um, you know, I'd rather he was still there, uh, even if he's not going to play every game. So, uh, and really, when you think about it, the reason we had to buy 12 players is because we didn't have a lot of championship players left. So, which which of those would you, are they talking about getting rid of? You know, because would you let Christie go? Well, no. Would you let Bettinelli go? No. Um, so, we'll probably see the... Uh, Fabry, he'll probably leave. Yes. Uh, I'll be surprised to keep him. Uh, suspect he would just go out on loan. But uh, I'd like to see a couple of the youngsters who I'm, I doubt now will uh, break into the team. I'd like to see them go out and get some games. But realistically, no, I'd rather keep everyone. Um, okay. I, I'll be sure. Mike, I have a ton of questions for you. We just don't have enough time. To go okay. through all of them. I just want to mention that. Uh, but I'll go to this one now because I, I find this one interesting. Ben Walbrun. Two areas of concern. Cutting individual errors. Lack of desire to fight for the badge. How do we address these? So individual errors, you'll never 
very it's, it's impossible you know i mean individuals make errors but you can look at why they're making errors so is it because they're being asked to play in a style they don't know or don't like or doesn't suit their their game or is it because they're confused by the instructions that are being given uh one of my comments about the last few games of under Yukanovic was that the players seemed confused they weren't sure whether they should be playing one way or the other or what position they were in so and that leads to errors so hopefully once you know work on the training ground and more games and they get used to the way Renneri wants us to play um, then errors will reduce but you're always going to have them if there were never any errors there'd be no goals so uh, you know every defender would stop every striker so uh, yeah they're going to be there but the only way is to, re to reduce them is to keep it simple you know don't cloud a player's mind and uh, you know and give them mixed messages if you're going to ask them to play right back what's their role if they're going to ask them to play defensive midfielder should they be rampaging forward or always just sitting back you know it's it's it's, it's keep it simple i agree with that man. and that's for yeah go on. i was going to say in, in part two lack of desire to fight for the badge what are your thoughts on that yeah, I think that's a little bit overused. Um, the whole sort of, I mean, I know I've, I've said, you know, we've got a fight on our hands, that kind of stuff. But the whole fight for the badge stuff and, you know, just pump the chest and oh, he's not trying, you know, that kind of thing. Um, bad results make you look at players and think, oh, he hasn't broken sweat and, you know, he's just walked around. And then you look at stuff like the stats or you look at a replay and uh, you, you don't see that. You know, players do try. They all have pride. Managers won't put up for players. And, and other players won't put up with players who who, who don't try. And, um, you know, Kamara is criticised for, for lots of things. Um, well, oddly enough, one of the things he's not getting criticised of at the moment is that he does try. But, you know, people look at him and see a player who has no skill, who can't trap a ball, who doesn't do anything for the team. And I offered on Twitter, I said, I said, right, I'll sit down with someone and watch yesterday's game. It was the, the Leicester game. Yep. We'll sit and wa I'll sit and watch the game with you and you tell me what he's done wrong. OK, and we'll see him do... And he will make mistakes. I've just said every player makes mistakes. But he is nowhere near as bad or was bad that game that people, they just, you're just finding a scapegoat and that's him. You know, last week it was Angrisa. You know, oh, I'm glad he got sent off. And all. Actually, I thought he did okay second half until um, and he was very unlucky to get sent off. And, you know, people saying Siri's hasn't got a heart, he's not fighting, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm sorry, but again, if you watch a game, you'll see he's making the Chelsea game. He made loads of tackles. He was trying his bloody hardest. Um, maybe it's not good enough. There's a difference between heart and just not being good enough. Right. So, yeah, you, you can see a player who doesn't try or um, isn't putting the effort in. And, and so can, like I say, so can every other player. And it won't be tolerated. So, yeah, I'm not buying that argument at all. Okay. And what's interesting about that, Mike, because twofold. First of all, your first part, it's keep it simple. I completely agree with it. It's funny because I know the term do your job. It's basically just just do what you're supposed to do. And uh, 
not worry about what someone else needs to do. You just do what you have to do. So I, I get where you're going on that. Lack of desire, like you said, maybe it's just that some of these players aren't good enough. So I understand where you are going on that. And one final thing on Kamara, Mike, because call me crazy. I want your thoughts on this. I actually think Claudio Ranieri really likes Kamara because he mentioned this. I want to say I read this, that he's talking about other teams' power and pace. Well, that's Kamara. Obviously, he's raw. But, Mike, am I crazy? I actually think that Abubakar Kamara fits underneath Claudio Ranieri. Yeah, so do I. I mean, I I think he's he is. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think he needs a footballing brain. You know, sometimes he, he does. Oh, I agree with you there, but I'm talking about his skill set, yeah. Mike. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I would have. I would try and find a way to get him in the team as as much as possible. I don't particularly like him at right midfield, but then the only other way to play him is as the striker or. He played two up top, and right, four, uh, four, two. you know, I would like, I would like to see that. I would like to see him next to Mitrovic for a game um, as a so as an I. old-fashioned two up top. I'd like to see how um, that would look. I, I'm with you on that. You know, take the defensive part of the game out of him, and and just tell him, you know, just use your pace, hang on the hang on the the guy's shoulder, um, or you know, give him a yard because you're going to overtake him. He's not been outpaced by anyone I've seen this year, any <laughs> defender. So, you know, he is an, he, he, he is a weapon for us. He needs he to be used. And, uh, I totally agree. Um, I spent, I think, almost a whole day after the Leicester game <laughs> on the Monday, maybe, or the Tuesday, just, just defending him from, for people, you know. Um, but all they can say is, you know, he's rubbish, he's rubbish, you know. I'm, and that's another thing, you know, if you're going to analyse a player analyzing properly don't you know just saying he's crap or other words is not analysis of a player that's not telling me what he's good at or what he's bad at it's just saying you don't like him and uh you know it, it sometimes it takes players a long time to to win fans over and it's taken him a very you know people forget the role he played for us in the final even yeah. you know um but leading up to that so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of his. And uh, you talk, we spoke earlier about buying players from, uh, you know, France and Belgium and that. OK, he cost us five million. And uh, maybe initially that you, you do wonder about that. Um, but I think he's worth it. He, he was worth it um, even now. And, you know, I'm sure whatever happens to us, if we were to go down, he would. There would be takers for him, absolutely. Okay, very good, Mike. Do you got a time for a couple more questions? I, I've got a ton, but I, I I have two that I want to ask you, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I've got as much time as you want, Russ. Okay, good. All right, let's go to Ian Leggett. This goes back to talking about the Riverside Development Project. Okay, this is his tweet. For a seat in rebuilt Riverside, will fans be expected to pay a real terms increase? 65-pound Section X upper last week versus Leicester. My history, again, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Is I think the answer is going to be an emphatic yes because I've seen it here with the sports teams. They, they jack up the price. It's just it happens. I'm curious your thoughts on this. Should fans expect this? 
Um, well, it's going to be a brand new stand. It's going to be premium seats. It's going to be, yeah, uh, yeah. It's going to be the most expensive stand to sit in um, at the stadium. Absolutely. Um, the kind of cost they will they will be the premium seats in the ground. The Riverside stand, even as it is now, is the most expensive stand in the ground. Um, it's uh, you know it it produces more money. Uh, per head than the other three stands within the ground. So uh, yes, it will be those kind of prices. A season ticket will not be the equivalent of £65 a game. You know, I mean, there's two things here which people are getting, you know, very wound up about. Um, match day prices, you know, don't get me wrong, they are expensive. Um, but, you know, go back to our last season in the Premier League, and they're only probably a fiver in some places, maybe a tenner more than they were. If anything, Fulham are probably charging about a tenner too much, I would say. Um, but a season ticket, if you were a season ticket holder um, in the Riverside and you bought your ticket before the final, then I think your average price is somewhere about 30, 35 pound a game. You know, somewhere around there. So, for tickets that are available on a match by match basis, yes, you're going to be paying 65 plus. I'm pretty sure if you're looking at today's prices, yes. Okay. Okay. Very good, Mike. Okay. A couple more. These will involve uh, talking about the season moving forward and what could potentially happen. So, this is from Scott Tanfield. Will Ranieri have been given the option? to coach in the championship if we're relegated? Well, he's been given a, well, I'm led to believe he's been given an 18-month contract. Um, will he be given a chance? The question is, would he want to come down and, and manage? I'm sure there's a release clause on both both sides. Um, I would hope so, uh, unless he leaves and then re-employ Yukanovic again. Um, <laughs> uh, Mike, what know. do you make if, of the... I'm sorry to break in. What do you make of the speculation with him and Reading? Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, uh, I think when Reading sat Clement the other day, I immediately tweeted, um, you know, Jokanovic probably go there now, doing his doing his tour of South East teams. You know, he's been to Watford, he's been to Fulham. He's, you know, Reading <laughs> makes sense, doesn't it? They're in right. probably exactly the same position we both both of us were. Um, I would hope he doesn't go there. I want him to go and get a job in Spain, rebuild his reputation. So do I. And, uh, because basically I don't want to run into him. Uh, <laughs> like an, a bit like an ex-girlfriend. You don't want to uh, sort of uh, go in the pub and see him. You sure. Know? So, uh, yeah, I hope he doesn't go to Reading because, okay. yeah. Okay. And on Ranieri, you, you're hearing that it was 18 months. So we just don't know what the agreement is, basically. Yeah, I'm led to believe it's 18 months and uh, we will have to see how the season pans out, won't we? You know, I mean, if it's a very, we just don't know. I mean, he, he might prove to be a complete disaster and we don't want to keep him or it might it might get to the wire and we're unlucky and we go down and we feel, yeah, you know, let's, let's, let's give him a go. Um, everyone's concerns then will be, oh, he hasn't got experience in the championship, blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff again. Um, we we just have to see how it plays out. You okay. know, we really will. Okay, very yeah. good there, Mike. Final question on Twitter comes from Agro Harco. Mike, 
has your position changed on relegation? Given we are bottom and playing some very ordinary football, using your head, not your heart, has your position changed? So, um, I, I don't know what it's meant to have changed from, though. <laughs> I, I suppose it changed from staying up. Um, we're in a difficult position, but all everything tells me we can stay up. Um, do I think we will? Yeah, I do, actually. I think we have a really good manager, um, experienced manager, who knows what he's going to want and needs to get results. Um, it might mean the checkbook having to come out again in January. And... Um, but I go back to how we started this conversation or, or mentioned very early on, we have four very big games coming up. And yep. if, even if you take the Arsenal game into account, um, you know, in five games, I would say we need, to, we need to win two of them, pick up six points minimum from those five games um, for us to still be on trackish to right. sort of, you know, needing to get away from where we are. We'll still be in the bottom three, make no bones about it. It's going to be a slow progress to, to get back up. Um, but that's the kind of place we need to be. If in five games we're having a conversation on the second Russ yep. and we've lost four of those five, then I'm going to say, no, that's it. Bang, we're done. Okay. Um, it, it, there's no room. There's not a lot of room for error now. Um, we need to pick up points. I totally agree, Mike. This is a crucial period, and and we have to treat it such. So I I, I understand why you're mentioning that. One final thing that I want to mention to go along with this, like I mentioned earlier, I I did another episode with uh, Bob Ballard, and I mentioned to him that Max Cohen, co-host, went to the um, NBC Sports uh, Fan Fest for the Premier League on Saturday. He got a chance to interview three presenters for NBC Sports. One is Kyle Martino. You might not be familiar with him. You might be familiar with Robbie Earle. And you might be familiar with Rebecca Lowe. All three of them told Max that they expect Fulham to stay in the division. Now, these are three that this is what they do. They spend all their time in the Premier League. But they're from outside, obviously, of our Fulham bubble. They all three said Fulham will stay in the division. And if I can remember correctly, all of them looked at Ranieri as one of the major reasons, Mike. So I think I understand why you said you think that they're going to, be partially because I think of your confidence of Claudia Ranieri. Yeah, and that's it. I think if it was – I struggle to think of another manager that I would – I would be confident on staying up. So let, let's say we'd gone with one of the usual suspects, you know, Sam or, you know, Big Sam or David Moyes or someone. Right. Maybe if it, maybe Big Sam, I would, if we were in exactly the same points and position we are in now, I would say, you know, yes, he has a history of doing that. If it was David Moyes, I'd be going, no, I've got no chance. Um, you know, so Ranieri for me was the number one choice yep. of the job. and. Um, even, you know, even before he got it. So I've got to be confident, haven't I? Because I, in some ways, I, I, you know, unfortunately, one of my things that I did, Russ, as you're aware, that poll or the World Cup. Yes, I remember. Without a job, 
you know, um, <laughs> you know, he won and he did. I, I backed him. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, you know, I've got to, I've got to stick with it. He is the reason. He is the only reason okay. at the moment. There's nothing else that points to that, <laughs> apart from the fact there's maybe three or four other teams who are, who are, are, are potentially worse than us. Um, yeah. And that number's reducing. You know, the, the table is. You know, a few weeks ago, there were eight teams there who you could have argued are, are battling. West Ham have got themselves out of it, so that leaves seven of them now because there's a real gap between, you know, between 13 and 14. You're right. And, uh, it's, uh, and I, I would expect another team to leave that over the next few games as well. So uh, it's, it's, it's whittling themselves down. You know, there end up being about five of us just battling out for those two positions above the bottom three. Oh boy, it's going to be. Uh... You won't have any finger. You won't have any fingernails left by the end of the season. <laughs> I don't think I will, Mike. It's going to be a a very nervy second half of the season. But you know what? The nerves begin on Saturday because, like you said, this is a crucial period. So we have to get some results just to make it a nervy second half of the season. If that makes any sense. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm sorry, Russ. I've been distracted because for some reason I've just been followed by uh, Liverpool Football Club Australia <laughs> podcast or something. And I just wondered, you know, what's that red? <laughs> Why have they started following me? Uh, I have... but anyway, sorry, yeah. No. Good there, my friend. Listen, thank you so much for doing this with me. We went a little long, but you know what? We had a lot of questions for you. So thank you for doing this. Oh, no problem. And thanks to all the listeners who send in questions. You know, I mean, I'm I'm just a voice and uh, with a few opinions. And it's nice that uh, people want to participate and uh, listen to the show. And I'll just say that the Raneri show that we did, I know you've told me yes. a, a really good uh, response listeners-wise. Huge. And, uh, just like to thank everyone who did, who did listen to that show. Thank you, Mike. And, yes, we had uh... – I told Mike this, uh, basically, it's probably our most listened to show. And that includes an episode I did with Tony Khan and an episode I did with Shah Khan. The episode I did with Mike about Claudio Ranieri had more listeners. So that just blew me away. So it just tells you the interest that uh, Fulham fans have and in, in talk about uh about the club. So I, I want to thank everyone and also obviously want to thank Mike because there's a reason why so many people listened. All right, let's uh, wrap this up, my friend. For my co-host, Mike Gregg, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.